Hello. Welcome to King of the Ride podcast. I am your host. I am Ted King. Whether you're a first-time listener or a long-time listener, thank you very much for being here. Conveniently, you've arrived at a barn burner of a conversation. Alexi Vermeulen is our esteemed guest today, as we caught up just recently on the eve of SBT Gravel. Now, chalk it up to his insight or his humility or, or perspective or maybe just reading the vibe of the room. But as much as I preface seemingly lots of these conversations with, quote, this is the best one yet, you might have stumbled upon the best one yet. Now, I won't babble on with a lengthy intro as to why. I just wanted to say that I'm excited to have someone like Alexi in this gravel game as a competitor, as a frenemy, as a, as a compatriot. Because I really like what he's bringing to the sport. I asked him the day before a big race, like SBT, if he had the time to sit down and chat. And without giving it a second thought, he was game. He, much like many of our competitors, has a busy schedule. But he fitted in. He's not obsessed with putting his legs up and getting his pre-race smoothie and doing a little pre-race meditation. Whatever it is, he understands the juggle. He said yes immediately. You get to hear all about that in just a second, so please stand by. Right now, you get to hear me talk for just an instant about AG1. I start every day with AG1, as I've done for well over a year now. I love it. It is simple. It is tasty. It is easy. It has made my life better by providing the rich nutrients that I need, very akin to a multivitamin, but derived from real foods. And furthermore, I don't need to tote around a half dozen bottles of vitamin pills. One scoop, or better yet, one of those super handy travel packs, since we are always on the go. It's that pack or scoop into a bottle, add some water, shake, 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 and my day is immediately better. I want your day to be better too, so please visit drinkag1.com slash tedking to get a year's supply of vitamin D plus five free travel packs that I love with your first purchase. Again, drink the letter A, the letter G, the number one dot com slash Ted King. Drink ag1.com slash Ted King, and you will see what all the fuss is about. Thanks very much for listening. Next up, Alexi Vermeulen. Hey, Alexi. Howdy, howdy. Um, Alexi Vermeulen is not Bob Smith. It's an interesting etymology. It sounds like with a name like that, you know your way around a Peloton. So what is the etymology of Alexi and especially Vermeulen? Um, Alexi, there's nothing special. My parents kind of always like different names. Uh, I have two brothers, both younger. Um, Names? uh, With uh, middle is Rem. R-E-M? Yep. Good which sleeper. Is, which is awesome. And the youngest is, he goes by Vincent now, but he went by middle name until he grew up, which is Moss, M-A-A-S, which right. is also a, kind of a throwback to uh, my Dutch heritage with his Vermeulen. Okay. Um, but Alexi comes from just a shortened version of Alexander, mm-hmm. nothing Russian. Mm-hmm. Um, and they didn't like the I, so they added an E-Y, and honestly, I like it. The rest is history. Yeah, I mean, my only nickname was Sexy Alexi, so it wasn't bad. No complaints. There are way worse nicknames than that. Do um, you come from a family of bike riders? Yeah, so Dutch heritage. My grandfather was the bike racer, bike rider. Um, he raced in Holland and immigrated to Canada after the war, after World War II. And never raced in the U.S. or in Canada, but um, was like start helped start the London Cycling Club in Canada. And uh, my dad always talks about this peaceful moment, which is crazy to us, but he used to just be on the back of my grandfather's bike. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he has this idea that bikes passing is peaceful to him, like on a highway. Mm-hmm. And that's, he's like, yeah, if cars I ever passing. struggle to go to bed, yep. Sorry, cars passing, yep. Yeah. Because he's on the back of the bike falling asleep because my grandfather wouldn't stop riding. That's um, cool. So yeah, never raced, but kind of definitely every time he was with me or I went out for, for a summer break, he's like, hey, let's go ride bikes. And um, there's this one story I always tell that we went to get ice cream. Um, and I was like, oh yeah, the local, you know, the ride we always do that's two miles away. My grandfather had made this route that we rode about, I think it's probably 60 kilometers, probably 40 actually. And 
all dramatization aside, hundred yeah, yeah, k, but completely bonked. I was yeah. just like, and but just I'd pedal as hard as I could, and I'd like fall back in my grandfather's hand, and he pushed me forward again. And yeah, it's one of those rides that like wasn't a training ride, wasn't anything, but it's the first time I was like. We just like did something. We saw something. We went places. Yeah. The ice cream was like the least of it at that point, which is great. Like achieved. Yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. Um, so we're here in Steamboat, Colorado. You have arguably the coolest perch in town up on this hill overlooking town. This is where you're staying. The house is currently silent, which is to say, often when I do a podcast, it'll be in the days before a race and there's a lot of action going on. Yesterday I did a podcast with a mechanic and it was nonstop people. Rolling in and out. You're missing the 14-month-old golden and the six-year-old kid that are going to come in probably okay. three minutes right. from now. <laughs> Perfectly, right in the smack in the middle of the, the best question. Uh, who, who is your team? This is a relatively big race. Who do you travel with on a typical occasion or on a big uh, occasion? Uh, also reminding our listeners that we're on the tail end of uh, Leadville, which is a big one. Yeah. Um, I think the team varies a lot based on the race. Uh, I will preface this is my first time to Steamboat. Ever. Welcome. Yeah. This is my thrice timer here. I'm very excited. Amy has tried countless times to get me here, and I'm always... The lead boat challenge was not for me. It's kind of foolish. It was crazy. Um, I was talking to Meg about it the other night, and I was like, yeah, no thank you. Did you watch her video? Uh, yeah, I did. Amazing. Gretchen killed it. Yeah, I watched... Gretchen lives in our town in Vermont. Sorry to interrupt. And we watched a premiere. She's like, we're going to premiere it in your kitchen. So there were four of us. And I watched the beginning, I'm like, this is amazing. And by the end, I'm just like in tears. It's so and amazing. This is like, I know it was the least cinematic, but the ending right. is the best. Right. The ending when they like go through the words, it's so good. It's so good. So again, yeah. to our listener, this is the Meg Fisher documentary made by Gresham Powers. Do yourself a favor and figure out how to watch it. Okay. Yeah. Your team. Welcome to Steamboat. Yeah. So my team kind of varies depending, you know, we don't, can't feed here. Right, one of the big things is steamboat. You got to carry what yeah. you're going to go with. True. So that changes the need to have someone out on course. Um, but the team normally is uh, Avery. Mm-hmm. He does kind of. He's a jack of all trades. He races sometimes. Uh, you know, he's got the camera. He's good at that. He can hand up a bottle like no one other. He created my mega hopper video. Avery yes, Sturm, great videographer. And. Uh, and then past that, I'll kind of move people in for who I think fits best for a certain, if I need someone to feed, if I need someone to actually be out on course or have a mechanic. Envy's probably a mechanic a couple times. Derek for me, which has been awesome. Yeah. Um, last weekend in Leadville, I had Kyle, a friend, Kyle Fowler, come out and feed. He just knows the course well. and you know. Um, beyond that, it's Sophie and Willie. Most of the Colorado races, they come along, which is awesome. As you know, it's always mm-hmm. nice to have some just like normal company that isn't going to ask you, how do you feel? Right. Are you ready for the race? Right, right. Um, Sophie is your girlfriend. girlfriend. Yep. Willie is her dog. Her dog. <laughs> Not to be confused. Okay. Got it. Um, yeah, I have this this perception that I would rather make friends in each town than bring friends. Like that, that being said, there's some races you need to feel like you're supported. Unbound, Leadville. Yep. You know that yep. support is the definition of a successful race. But. Um, I don't know. Some some of the races, like it's just what's, who can you bring to make it fun, and then branch out from there and create. And we have like I got to meet some friends on the Finland travel trip that uh, they did before Finland gravel last year, last August, and I met a bunch of steamboat folk that Amy had brought along, and that's just been awesome. We you know I'm staying with a friend here on at this post house in Dallas, and then last night we had burritos down in town some other friends that just built a house like oh, it's just cool to have you know people that you met through bikes yeah but they're not there to support you they were helping push meg and i up a tandem last night mm-hmm. supporting in some sense but then i don't know it's bike racing now or the you know if you ever compare gravel to world tour which i don't enjoy doing i'm not sure about you mm-hmm. i like that you can spend time in each town like sure. we got here wednesday right and you get to we'll be here through monday yeah yeah, yeah, it's a whole different ball of wax, um, which is also an effective jump-off point because you reminded me of it in our exchange of first Instagram messages to then text messages, whereupon we discovered we had each other's phone numbers. <laughs> and going back to that memory of when we first exchanged phone numbers, what do you remember about like set the scene? Where was that? What happened? How did we first meet? Yeah, so. 
Uh, I was actually pretty dismayed in a, in a certain sense. I just like I was a third year on 23 racing on BMC development. Road World was in America in Richmond, and I had just broken my wrist and I had missed out on it, and it felt like the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and then weirdly, based on a result right before I broke my wrist, uh, Lotto Yumbo or Yumbo Visma at the time had called. And so I was like running around, like, am I ready for this? Is it worth it? Like talking to Sayers, talking to all these people. And so USA Cycling invited me out to come and hang out at Richmond, even though I wasn't racing. And I met you at the VIP event. And I remember just talking to you. And I think part of you was like, this is not the right time to go through all this stuff. And yeah. you were just figuring your way out. <laughs> but I was just, I had so many questions. And you were the person that was going to answer them right, right then, right there. Yeah. Um, and I think we exchanged numbers and you helped out after that as I was preparing, you know, where to live and what to do and kind of, um, yeah, the, the, what's it, what is it like for a young American, a 20-year-old to go over to Europe? Sure. Yeah. I mean, such different times and places in our careers. That was, what, probably September or maybe early October 2015. Yeah. Literally, like the last UCI event that I would attend. I wasn't racing, obviously, uh, but I just retired and your career is about to take off fascinating how each of our careers have gone in, in whatever interesting directions. Um, you talked about BMC development. What had led you between riding your bike with your grandfather for ice cream and BMC development? Like, Talk to me about what happened up to 2015. Just yeah. like to, to um, educate me. I think a, a quick synopsis is I think, you know, I grew up in Michigan. Um, always had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder for the Colorado, California folk. Of course. Um, that so, being said, Michigan is a powerhouse for cycling. It in is so funny, many interesting ways. Yeah, it is. But um, yeah, just like growing up, you know, I just I I was all over the board on sports. Like I still have the same coach I had when I was 15 years old. And the only reason I had a coach at 15 was my parents were like, "Can you please get this kid to do one sport at a time?" Yeah, um, that's hilarious. And so yeah, I like from about I'd say I started taking cycling seriously like freshman year of high school, like 14 years old, mm-hmm. racing age 15, and. And I say seriously, you know, it's like, okay, my dad said, hey, go on, the, go on the computer, find the events you want to go to, we'll see what's possible. And, you know, I think it was like at the time, it was like Bat and Kill was massive, you start in April, you feel like you're doing a spring classic, yeah. and then you kind of moved on to Fitchburg at the time, which was like Such legendary races. Race. Such a good race. Such a good yeah. And then end of the season with Green Route and Stage Race, and um, yeah, these things that were just incredible, and... I got a chance to kind of see who I was against people that I knew weren't racing professionally, but were getting contracts or live strong or like sure. the pathway existed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and as I kind of did that, you meet the people that you want to hang out with and see. And like, I remember going to Green Mountain and Lawson and Nate Brown had just finished Road Worlds because before they were early. Yeah. And Lawson cracked on uh, AppGap, like on the side of the road, just sitting there. Which I want to brag, like that's my home road. That's my one. It's incredible. It's such a good road. Green Mountain uh, Stage Race is incredible. Green Mountain still exists. Exactly. It's a, an amazing stage race right there, smack in New England. Anyone who's a road racer, please, please go do it. Anyway. Even if you're a gravel racer, go do it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, it's a great stage race. Probably gravel, beers, gravel gears might be better for that climb. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I just remember like feeling like I could do something in this sport yeah. at the beginning. Like, cause it wasn't like Lawson was at his best, but I beat Lawson up a hill, right? And this person that was touted over. Yeah, his name was... Everything at that point. I mean, there's a year he won all, all three national championships. Everything, yep, yeah. yep, okay. Um, and so I think I just, like, I fell in love with the, the opportunity of travel and seeing new places and meeting people. The bike I was good at, and I kind of realized very quickly that, like, I grew up playing ice hockey, playing soccer, running cross country, and... Uh, cycling. Um, always competitive because the two brothers by far, but kind of quickly realized that like soccer and ice hockey were never going to be my thing. And I tell this to, to parents now that ask me, they're like, oh, like how hard did your parents push you? And I was like, this sounds pretty rough, but I was like, at 15, I kind of knew that if I wanted to do things, it was my sacrifices to be made. Yeah. Um, and so kind of just like stopped freshman year playing ice hockey and soccer um, and kind of cross country and cycling didn't really match so I was able to kind of do both for a minute but focused on cycling did a good amount of training for that time built a calendar out around those races national championships and um, about two years after that kind of thought process change Green Mountain State race in 2009 I think that was mm-hmm. 2011 I won nationals nice. rode nationals as a junior yeah um, and an underage junior at that which was kind of a big deal because it just allowed me time um, so 16 racing age 17. 
um, got to go to Europe on USA Cycling's dime, which is nice. always nice. My yes, parents were yes. happy. Yeah. Um, and the racing just fit me. I loved it. The like caress racing, the all in. Like I went over with like 700 euro. My parents were like, this is your spending money for two months. Yeah. And I can't. I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna win more. And I came back with like 1400 euro. <laughs> I was just like the first. I remember the first Kermesse, I remember all of us just got our asses kicked. Yeah. Just out the back, like That's four or five laps to go. Right. Right. And then the next one, like I survived but barely. And then after that, I like there was I was never out of the top five. And it's just like it was my like growing up in Michigan. It was my kind of racing. Yeah. Like. I was always the, the one junior kid trying to hang on to the Pro 1-2 or the Cat 3 field yeah. for dear life. And now everyone's on the same gears. And I'm like, it's just about a little bit of aggression. Yeah. And they have to be a little scared of you. That's so cool. Were you, was was Isigam? Is that house? Yeah, Still that's where I was. Okay, so, it's not yeah. anymore, but that's where right. I was. I got the last kind of group in there. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I lived in Belgium with the crew uh-huh. and did my first Road World in Copenhagen. Excellent. That year, watched um, Cancellara and Cavendish go up at up the final climb and I think it's like everything came full circle right the guys that you watch like there's I was like taking these steps of this pathway right and the sacrifices like were leading me to things um so at that point I was uh 16 at the end of that year um had one more year junior and then um kind of made a choice kind of had a conversation with my parents because I was the oldest child and they'd both gone to college it was kind of a conversation of hey so I'm doing this thing Mm -hmm. If I apply to schools and defer, can I, like, if I get a contract to one of these couple teams, I think I had, like, BMC, I think Handicappy was on there, mm-hmm. and Livestrong at the time, which became action. Yeah. And I was like, if I get a contract from one of these teams, I'm going to defer school and keep racing. Can we all, like, is that okay? Everyone cool with that? Yeah. Right, peace. Uh, and I did. I actually got, I got lucky coming off a good year and... Um, got an option from from Livestrong and BMC, but just like leaning how I, I'd been so into the European style of racing. I was like, BMC was a new team in 2013, but I was yeah. like, this is like, I want to do this. Like, right. this is awesome. Um, so went over there with a couple other Americans, TJ Eisenhart, Tyler Williams, Paul Lynch. Uh-huh. And um, still probably one of the most professional teams I've ever been on, BMC sure. development. You know, just they handed everything down and it was... Just we got to live in the French Ardennes, um, kind of where uh, Liège Mason Liège takes place, Jeez. where Le Rosier is, and it was just it was a blast. Like yeah. I just it was all my friends were at college. I was making fifteen thousand dollars, and I yeah. was couldn't have been happier. Right, I was learning sure. how to move my my nuts around, and yeah, I don't know. I just remember like I was like, if it's just like this, this is amazing. This is all I want to do. Yep. There was not really any stress. Um, how much of a pathway was there understood that? being successful on the BMC development team would lead to BMC, the pro team? Uh, a pretty good pathway. Yeah. Um, and I think even like the USA Cycling pathway at the time, which, you know, it doesn't really exist anymore, just hesitate to talk about it, but like at the time, you know, it was like, okay, local results, get some like LaGeorge results or Lance Armstrong Junior Race Series. Yeah. yeah. And then you, okay, get some national results. <laughs> then you have national results. You go to like Talent ID camp. Okay, yep. go to Talent ID camp, go to Europe. So yep. like, I literally like, I remember there's a bump in my bed and I crossed the whole thing off. Uh-huh. And it got to the end and I was like, Oh, oh shit! Like, right. don't let's um, go collect two hundred dollars. And so yeah, it was. I remember just being on the BMC development team, just like thinking that honestly, I'd, no matter what, I want to spend my my whole four years there because oh. it was such a fun time. And I was at December birthday. I was young. I was like, I've everyone I'd ever heard. I was like, most people rush into this. If you get the offer, it's hard to turn yeah. it down. Yeah. And so yeah, I was just like living my best life and kind of just like, okay, when is there going to be an opening on BMC that fits me? And kind of, you know, you look at riders who are similar to you and will it fit? And I think I didn't really have like, I wasn't like, oh, it's going to happen to me. It was more just like, it was a weird piece that if I get through four years, I don't have a pro contract. This was awesome. And I'm never going to like, look, never going to regret it. So Mm -hmm. just enjoy it. And it is what it is. Like everyone was so strong. Like I always talk to people about like, like TJ at the time, like we were the same rider. One of us was going to go, and one of us wasn't. Huh. And it was just at, at any given race, one of like we did the exact same thing. We were the same size. That's we were both kind of good at time trial, but like, and I just like it. You're on the same team, and like sometimes you're like you're annoyed by it, and then also you're like you're so motivated and enjoy it because you just go rip sure. climbs together. That's rad. Did he go to Hincampy from there? Yeah. Okay. I think he did stagiaire with BMC in 2014 or 20. Yeah, 2014. Yep. He did stagiaire with them. Yep. He was pretty good at Tour Utah. Yep. Remember that. And then he went to Hincapie because I think BMC folded 2015 or 2016. Yep. Yeah. Sounds about right. So. So was your when I saw you in Richmond 
that was the last year of BMC, correct? Yep. And then yep. you got the phone call, Yumbo, two-year contract, Neo Pro to the bigs. Yeah. When we had our conversation outside of me saying this might not be the time and place to have this exact conversation, we follow up with a variety of other helpful tidbits of where to live and how to spend your euros. Was I overall positive or negative on the whole experience? I think you were actually positive. You were the first call. You were the first like person I talked to that I felt like was had been there, right? Because everyone else I had talked to, nothing against them. I think they had a perception of what the world tour was. Like yeah. Mike Sayers, okay, I, I was a director in this in, sure. in the race, or like kind um, of other people I talked to, or like people who who I had a good friend who worked for Zip and like had glimpses of what it was. Yep. Um, but like you, and then I talked to Larry because he's from Michigan, and sure. like I'd always grown up admiring yep. him. Yep. And I think some of those conversations were just real, just like it's hard. Like it's not. It's probably not what you've been doing. Uh-huh. Um, and I think it was. It, I just left the conversation being excited, but also just like, let's make this. If I'm going to make this happen, it's all in. It's full right. chips on the table. It's. We're still not going back to school. Hey, mom, dad, we're yep. still deferring college. Yep. We're yep. moving on. I think at that point, I actually stopped deferring. Like for three years, I deferred all through BMC. Um, but yeah, just like I think I left the chat being like I like I took I literally took notes after we left of like what you had said, and I was like, ah, okay, Ted's That's someone hilarious. I need. I need to talk to more. Because <laughs> um, I think everyone has their own perception of what it was. Either people uh-huh. moved through teams or didn't. Right? Like Larry's always bounced around, mm-hmm. and he had a perception from where I was coming from from BMC. Mm-hmm. And then I always felt like Brent had been in it a little longer, and Brent had a very not negative way, but Brent was very, very like, hey, it's not easy. Yep. Like, were you coming from Michigan? I came from Michigan. Like, you're going to get you're gonna get thrown around. You're going to have to work for people. Like, yep. are you ready to do that now? Because, like, I literally, I think that year was, I was yeah, it was 20 years old. Mm-hmm. Like, it's crazy to think about what I was throwing myself into. Um, and I literally, when I got the email, I shit you not, I thought it was a, I thought it was spam. I thought someone was messing. I thought Tyler or TJ were messing with me. Yeah. Like, it was just so out of the blue. Like, you're so like, I broke my wrist. Life's horrible. I'm missing, like, I'm missing road worlds for the first time in 30 years in the U.S. Right. This to is like, the ultimate punk. To like, I literally worked so hard for the next three weeks to make it on the road worlds team after I got that email yeah. that it kind of put me in a good position for training camp. Right. Um, but yeah, I think like most people that I talk to are just like, you're young, you're going to have to find a way to not overdo it, especially on a team that's primarily Dutch. Yep. And I was that first wave of people right. that wasn't Dutch. It was right. like me right. and Primoz and uh, Amund, who was a Norwegian guy. Well, I'm glad that your recollection is positive because you know I'm, I'm finishing up. Okay, my final year was on the, a slipstream program, but the yep. previous four years was with a, was with a very Italian team, which yep. is very difficult. No different than going on a traditionally very Dutch team. I'm sure it was a... Uh, I mean, you feel like an island. An yeah. island of one, yeah. right? And so you... you s- I'm glad my experience, my, my, what I offered up was positive. I think as we talked, also now, as, now that you're talking about it, like I think one of the big things was I don't think I'd signed a lot of contract I think I had it in my hand, and right. I was waiting to see if BMC was going to, because they had the option to match, yeah. if they were going to match, and then I had to make a decision. And I think a lot of your conversation was probably pushing toward BMC if I had that offer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just it's so funny. I literally... like. Don't remember the conversation that much. I remember being there, like literally standing on that Libby Hill, yeah. like Likewise. on the backside of that house. Uh-huh. Yeah, the house yeah. that you attack rented yeah. out. Um, and I don't want to dwell a ton on the next two years. Yeah. But so give me like a, a three minute summary of it. Absolutely love my time in the world tour. Sweet. I don't think I had enough time to like I talked to Keel and I talked to Pete and you know talked to Lachlan. I didn't have enough time to, I think be able to say that to some people. Yeah. Like, I think there's, like, there's probably some World Tour writers that are like, oh, like this Neo Pro didn't know what he wanted. Um, I had the offer to stay. I didn't really, like, not with Lotto, um, but mm-hmm. I didn't really want to stay. Yeah. I, it wasn't, I loved feeling like I was at the top end of our sport. No matter sure. what it was, if you're getting your ass kicked, you're still at the top level. Yep. You are the best. You get to say you're racing on a World Tour team. Before me, I could have named, like, 10 American guys who had made it, right? Sure. And it was special. Um, but Lotto, was, to me, was awesome. I mean, they, they paid me more than the minimum Neopro salary. They supported. They understood I was new. They 
they made sure that I made it home to America at least two or three times a year. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, like I think if there's a chance I probably would have stayed another two years if Lotto had been the ones offering, I was afraid to jump into their team and start all over again. Yep. And I remember talking to a couple of people and being like, what is this gravel thing? Like, it seems pretty cool. Like, yeah. part of me was that the biggest flaw in World Tour teams, and I think this is honestly why it hasn't grown, and I don't think it really will, or prize money hasn't grown, or payment of riders, is that it's 28 riders, and they want each team wants one answer for 28 riders, whether that's to an interviewer, or whether that's to a sponsor, or anybody else. And so, the value given, also the reason Gravel is great, is that you can have a rider and they can give feedback, and it actually helps create or innovate a product. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I wanted to help more. I was barred from ever talking to Bianchi or anybody else we worked with. And that was honestly the thing that drew me toward toward um, the gravel and privateering was I had no idea what I was doing. When I first left, I thought I wanted to do UCI mountain biking. Right, like, right, right. I just I left knowing I wanted to be able to learn what it's like to run a business. Mm-hmm. I hadn't gone to school. I didn't feel like I was in any control in the world tour, and I wanted to have some semblance of control and be able to talk to people and feel like I had an impact on what I was doing. Um, and it's funny because I literally was making these decisions at 22 years old, yep. like at a, at a time where you're like, hey, like my dad, I remember was like, dude, do not leave. Like if you're making less money, who cares? Like you built, you got here. Yeah. Did you have specific media training where they said don't do that, or do you feel like it was just the culture of say the right things in interviews? largely keep your mouth quiet until you're asked a question and then give some vanilla response. Yeah, like training camp, we had some media training. I think it was just overall training. Lotto's always been very secretive about what they do. Yeah. Um, and I, like even power data, right? Anything over zone three, we weren't allowed to post power data on Strava. Huh. Like little things like that were crazy. But then also like a fucking 21-year-old Neopro, they'd send to arrow testing. Yeah. Like I really appreciated. There was no, of course, you know, Primoz or Robert Hessing's also going to get it. Yep. Probably more in depth, but yep. like I was, you weren't thrown to the wayside or used like I'd heard I'd had in the past or yep. at other teams for other riders, you know. And that is very cool. I, so that's why, I'd like I say, I left with positive feelings. Of course, I felt slighted at times, but like they didn't change my calendar. Yeah. Like they gave me cool races. I got to race Dauphiné. I got to race Liège, Bastogne, mm-hmm. Liège, and Romandy and Lombardia. Like. The only thing I miss out on is a grand tour, but I actually, like, most of me, of course, I wanted to do it, but I now I don't think I was ready for it. Yeah. And well, I, especially on a team like that. Yeah. Like, at that time, not it was like other teams. Yeah. yeah. I mean, just the heritage of that team. Like, yeah. they don't fake it. No. So, I, I have my two years in the world tour. I, there, I came, there was a period where. So literally, like, the end of 2017 was the end of my contract. Mm-hmm. The period where I freaked out and went back to a continental team. Yeah. I started racing road for, like, literally from April or May to, like, June. And I was like, okay, I'm done. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but other than that, like, I, I, there was nothing that thought I was making a regret. And now I'm so sure of it. There's things I miss. Yeah. Like, I miss camaraderie. We'll never, I talk to Kiel about this. There's no be team camaraderie anymore, uh-huh. in my opinion. Gravel like there was there. Like, there's one Tour of California 2017 with George Bennett when we won. Yep. Never, ever felt so much a part of something. Yep. And it's a special, special feeling. I'm sure you have it in a couple of races. For sure. Yeah, yeah, I agree with a lot of that. I like, I feel like my knee jerk answer for things that I miss are like guaranteed road closures. So mm-hmm. you can hum around a corner at 60 miles an hour and you know there's not a car on the other side. But, and that opens up a whole can of worms in terms of like the safety of gravel and how we're racing on open roads. Yep. We won't go there. That's not my point. Okay. That was a terrific summary. Um, I want to say one of the next times that we crossed paths was, I want to say 2019, maybe it was 18, Belgian Waffle Ride. 2019. Yep. And in particular, so it was 19, in particular was in the after party. I, uh, you're hanging out, you're drinking a beer, everyone's having a good time, fun, laughing. I think... I want to say Pete won it. I was either second or third. Like I had a really good race. You had, on paper, a crappy race because you had mechanical of some sort, but you were stoked. (laughs) And it's like, I remember sitting there and hanging out with you, and I could see the wheels turning. Like, you were just elated with the scene. Yeah. So, 
like jump off from there? What what begins your process? There? I think everybody was. I mean, yeah, but I, at that point, right, I was a pure roadie. I didn't know what plugs were, didn't know what sealant was. Yeah. And, I mean, it's still coming on the scene, but I like I hadn't done much. And um, yeah, I think I flatted at mile 11 on Lemon Twistenberg and rode uh, Jacob Rath. Rathy and I rode all day together. That's right. Yeah, ripping. Yeah. Just like running through groups. People would hang on. Um, I think I realized that it was what I wanted to do. That was actually my first, like, quote-unquote gravel race. Mm -hmm. Um, Before that, I still thought I wanted to be a mountain biker, which Keegan and Russell reminded me every time I raced. So Um, that's what you basically did from that Continental Road Team through the present being Um, spring 2019. Okay, got it. Yeah, like a lot of the Epic Ride series kind of endurance mountain bike stuff. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, I just remember being enamored with it first off, but also thinking that each person that I looked at was creating their own thing. And that at some point, those were all going to converge. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't know when that was or what it was. And I was still, you know, literally, I think, 2019, I won Iceman and won six grand. I would have been four grand in the hole otherwise. Mm-hmm. Like, I literally was breaking even, like barely making it. I had like a PT, a good PT friend who was paying for registrations and I had, you know, an advertising agency, Q&M, who still supports me now, but like, who was giving me five grand to like pay for flights, like barely, you know, figuring it all out, doing the math, right, making sure it worked and still pulling out of what I'd made in the world. Action. This is, okay, Willie Nugget, Willie Okay, are you done scaring him off? Come here. Security dog. Yeah, Willie's got a big bark. Um, but yeah, I just remember Belgian Waffle Ride just being like, this is cool. This yeah. is maybe something. Like, I remember being like, first off, I think I can be up there with those guys with road, world sure. tour ride. Never, like, my two years in the world tour, I didn't feel like that. Yep. I was like, I remember getting my second year getting dropped on Jessica Bell in San Sebastian. Mm-hmm. Like, the first one did 5.8 watts per kilo. It's a 20 minute climb, right? Mm-hmm. Second did like six watts per kilo. I'm like, there's 40 guys left. And right, I'm like, right. this is what people talk about, six watts per kilo. What are, this is, I got here. What is going yeah, on? Yeah. And then you realize like, there's a, it, everyone's so good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so the, the gravel was just a chance to figure it out. Um, it, it blossomed from there. I just, I kept, I remember that, that party was like the, the moment and I was like, okay. And I was still scared at Unbound. But mm-hmm. other, other than that, it was that 2019 was my first Belgium Waffle Ride and first kind of takeoff. Um, but yeah, I think the last thing is I, I give my coach a lot of credit. We went in 2019 and he was just like, ride your bike. Go yeah. figure, like you for the last 10 years have known every single race, whether it's juniors, you've known what Fitchburg was like. Mm-hmm. You've known what Liege was like. You've studied that course. You've known it. You don't know what you're getting into. Learn. Don't be angry. If a race goes badly, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I, that entrance with that mindset helped me a lot. To sure. get to, you know, three years later, four years later, where we are now. It's fascinating where the sport has gone in that period of time. I mean, what you've talked about a little bit in terms of being able to have conversations with sponsors, being able to have conversations with uh, an audience is ambassadorship and influencing, which are, of course, of course, buzzwords and words that we tend to be averse to. But in reality, that is our job. Yeah. Full stop. I've heard you speak among the most eloquently of people in our position as ambassadors and influencers. What are some of the, the projects that, that you find yourself wrapped up in these days? So I think, you know, all of us have our own brand. I think building out who I am as a person, which I learn every year, is a big part of that and figuring out, first off, what brands I want to work with, but also how do you, how do you help move this big thing we're part of forward? Mm-hmm. Because... No one's come straight out of gravel yet, right? There's no 15-year-old kid who grew up in gravel, and it's going to come. It is going to come, and it's hilarious because backtrack to 2019, if you had said that, like, who's going to be the first to be like, no one, it's not going to happen. That was my opinion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at that point, Belton Off of California was the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. Maybe Unbound was second, right? People were still, that's big ultra race. Who yeah. does a 200-mile race? Yep. And yeah, so, um, so yeah, and then the other big thing that started during COVID for me is a um, project that's near and dear to my heart. I think most people, anything they're involved in is near and dear to their heart, but mm-hmm. is uh, called From the Ground Up. Mm-hmm. And the goal during COVID was how do you 
take people who are coming to the sport who didn't learn how to pace line or yeah. learn how to play bumper bikes in the park on road, <laughs> uh, help them feel like they belong there. That's it. You know, cycling is not inaccessible and not intimidating because the sport just kind of breeds that. If I ride past someone, even with a dog on my back and smiling, and they got on a bike last week, it's still demoralizing. You're passing them at twice triple their speed. Even if you smile and wave, it doesn't change anything. Yeah. Um, so the thought process is if we can bring in beginner riders who you know are have a gym closed or need a mental sanity from their family and got on the bike mm-hmm. and help them be able to help other riders, that's the best way. Yep. That there's not really a connection between a professional and a new rider coming in during COVID. As the genesis, and we kind of put it out kind of willy-nilly, hey, we're going to help three riders get to Leadville. Um, we're going to have five and a half months to do it, uh, and you get everything you need. And I remember kind of going to bed. I, I built this website. All, all these things are things that I like. I'd enjoyed doing, like going on Squarespace and learning how to build a website. Never had to do that on the world tour. Right, right, right. Um, had a lot of help from my girlfriend, Sophie's an interface designer. But went on and went to bed and, you know, woke up and was like, oh, 200 applications. Dang. And the next day, I woke up, and I remember Canyon posted it at one point. And it was like, oh my gosh, okay, 1,000 applications. Guess what? Google Spreadsheets shut down in 1,000 applications. So all of a sudden, <laughs> it stopped working, and I'm like yeah. scrambling. So point, point given, we had this open for two weeks, 1,200 people applied mm-hmm. to take on something that I try to say was impossible. Like, taking on Leadville in six months is not a... It's, it's a, it's a pipe dream. It's kind of a thing you put out in front of you to, to train hard and change your life and have a journey. And I was like, wow, like maybe cycling isn't the front end of this. Like it, you grow up that you have to train to be the best or the skinniest or have a watts per kilo that can win something. And then you realize that like what we're moving into is being able to influence and impact people positively, right? Influence can be negative, influence can be positive. Mm-hmm. And so this was my thing. It took time. I had to like, I had to have a coach who understood it. Like Lucas dealt with me. It's, it's almost two and a half weeks of the year that I don't ride my bike at all. When? Like throughout. So I'll explain it. So okay. from the ground up, we have these applications um, and then we go and deliver all their stuff because yeah. it's such an overwhelming day. First off, these people have jobs and mm-hmm. like we take two weeks from them anyway and that's two weeks of PTO. Yeah. So we try to make it as concise as possible, but the first we go and deliver. So wherever they live. So you know, the first year was uh, Queens, New York, um, Boston and then Northern Wisconsin. And you guys are delivering in person? Yes. During COVID, wow. right? Masks, okay. filming. Crazy. Uh, at the time, it was just Avery filming this yeah. massive show. Yeah. Um, and so we do go and deliver and you help them learn how to build a bike, help yep. them learn how to take the back wheel off so they can put it on their <laughs> Wahoo kicker and like crazy stuff. Uh-huh. And so uh, delivery visits at the time, you know, you spend a week and a half jumping around nation and like am I gonna carry a bike I'm carrying five bikes to deliver anyway like um, and so the delivery visits you just it's a moment to like first off introduce sponsors that are supporting the show because everything needs cash Mm -hmm. but at the same time help them figure out how to not make this sport insanely overwhelming it's not gonna make it they're not gonna call you crying at some point but hey I did that or hey I videoed him putting the wheel on and I can do it myself and that builds that confidence that helps them teach someone else or be able to help. Um, you know, we helped them. Like, they built their bikes that first year, and that's been a, that's been a continuance of, like, they set up tubeless the first time by themselves. We we help, we watch, but, right. like, you're doing it. Until it's hands-on. Yeah. Um, you are not you don't know how to do it. That's wild. And part of the application is, like, are you willing to be vulnerable? Like, the reason there's a video aspect of it is, like, you're going to be on camera struggling. Mm-hmm. Not just physically, mentally. Like, yeah. in your worst moment, someone's going to stick a camera in your face. And it, you have to have this feeling of, I'm helping someone else struggle through this yeah. and not want to punch the camera. That is probably everything inside of you. <laughs> yeah. And so that, it just kind of built. And the, you know, the, second, the second thing of, from the ground up was, hey, we need a skills portion of this because it's Leadville is, might be a road race to some people. And I put air quotes around that because yeah, it's not. Bunk. <laughs> With due respect to Dylan, who did it in drop bars, it's, it's still a mountain bike race. Yes. And so we did kind of a skills camp in Boulder the first year, and that's kind of progressed into like a big thing and visit in, in Bentonville this now, yeah. uh, supportive visit Bentonville. Like we have, we invite 15 people who applied and aren't part of the project, yeah. which is cool. Very cool. Um, and then we do a, a, a 
pre-ride of the race with Leadville with Lifetime, mm-hmm. and then it's race day. So it's four things kind of take up two and a half weeks. Yeah. And so it's not like I don't get to ride a bike. It's just that like I'm making this choice early on that these are who I'm. This is what I'm here for. Yeah. And this is what I want to do. This feels good. This is awesome. It's a selfish feeling. Mm-hmm. As like everyone's like, oh, you're so, it's so rewarding. I'm like, that's rewarding, but like it's selfishly what I need. Yeah. I, for so long, I took, 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 took. Sure. That like for me to continue doing that and want to be a professional bike racer and be competitive, I still, I need this good heart fuzzy feeling. Yeah. That's um, really cool. And so, yes, yeah, so from the ground up was we just finished our third year. No one in the first two years got past the second, t- second checkpoint at Twin Lakes. Mm-hmm. Um, this year we had three people finish the race out of five. Excellent. Five so people this program's year. Program's growing. Yeah. And, um, it was really cool. We had two ex NFL players, what? A, line, a linebacker and, uh, and a wide receiver. Uh, one finished, one didn't, which mm-hmm. is even better. Yeah. Uh, we had one, Monish is a 24-year-old kid living in Atlanta that just dedicated his life and moved out to Breck for the last month. Wow. And um, he finished 1140. Yeah. And uh, we had one finish after the last buckle, but 13 and a half hours. He yep. was the second to last finisher of the whole race. Super cool. And it's just, it's inspiring. All their families are out there. We have a it's literally, this is the budget of the project is having a house in Leadville. Yeah. We have a house with 10 bedrooms, 18 to 22 people. Yeah. And all their families, everyone's there. Jeez. And I just like, people are like, oh, how do you do this? Like, oh, like what are you doing? You have to yeah. race tomorrow. And I'm like, yeah, I don't think about it until 630 in the morning. And right. then I just go right. let my right. body do what right. it does. Right. Well, yeah, you've been programmed for the previous decade and a half of your life how to figure out you, you know how to do a bike race it's yeah but it's else. an interesting feeling to not be like oh my gosh i'm messing up by not yeah. being off my feet it's everyone else is freaking out so much more mm-hmm. that i get to just help that's awesome and that's the feeling that i think puts me maybe it's not the best place to be the best percentage of myself mm-hmm. but it i get to this the start line and i'm just happy whatever the day brings you're happy and if happiness begets results you finish second at leadville in what the fastest ever race, probably the fastest average time ever raced. Um, first mortal. Yeah. Okay. First mortal. Well, I like Keegan. That. Keegan's. Keegan's I keep telling people I was like we were in a different race. I went with him on the bottom of Columbine to see what I had. Yeah. I mean, twenty five minutes is not the same race. I'm blown away, utterly proud. Respect the kid, the hell yeah. out of the kid, and I just like that's. I have to leave it there because like I'm proud of second. Yeah. It felt like I won the race at sure. a certain point because I was like, where is he? Yeah. Yeah. So take that. Yeah. As a result, take what you did three years later uh, from that original BWR 2022. You you put six minutes into Matt Beers, which is a remarkable result. How do you square the the training that is involved with the influencing that you are part of? I mean, you, you've touched a lot upon it a lot. Is it? Is it day-to-day decision-making or is it working with a coach and doing a lot of planning at the beginning of the year? Like, how does it all fit in the magic algorithm that is a, a human and a calendar? Um, I think it's both. I mean, I think the big thing is that I, when I left the world tour, I said I'm leaving my absolute die-hard competitive self behind. Yeah. I can still be competitive. I can still race my bike. And I still think I can be at the front of race races and I can win one occasionally. Mm-hmm. Um, but that... I was leaving to make that positive impact or make that positive influence. And I think having a coach since I was 15 has been through everything. He's been through the World Tour time. He's been through the heartbreak before Richmond. like, yeah. And then him learning how to train for a mountain bike race. or He'd never done that stuff. That's um, hilarious. <laughs> it changed my perception on what I'm here to do. Um, in every company you talk to, whether it's cycling-related or non-endemic, helps teach you that. That success can be Keegan, right? It can be winning everything. Mm-hmm. And I am so impressed by it. But success can also be who are you and how are you impacting and moving this thing that we're all a part of forward? Because mm-hmm. we're it's from 2019 to now, it's changed drastically. Big time. It is more racy, but also there's just more people involved in it, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Um, and so, yeah, I look at it with Lucas and we say, okay, what's the season look like? Where are the crazy moments? Where are the hindrance points? Like, you know, this year did almost a month in February. And then we went to deliver five bikes. And for 10 days, 
I think I rode, I think I ran six miles total. Like, people normally would be like, what well, normal coaches would be like, oh, you can't do that. Yeah, like, yeah. what do you mean you're racing Belgian Waffle Ride next week? You can't. That doesn't work. Yeah. And I try to explain that because even the year I won Belgian Waffle Ride, we had a uh, from the ground up skills camp, first time in Bentonville. Mm-hmm. And I'm running around like with a chicken with its head cut off, right? Fixing this, fixing that. People paid to be at this camp and you're putting on experience and you feel like you're obligated to do everything perfectly. Yeah. And the last night, I went out with friends, like, absolutely hammered. Probably the most hammered I've been in a long time. <laughs> this is literally, we're talking six days before the event. Yeah. And I remember finishing from Belgian Waffle Ride, and Ryan, co-founder from the Grand Dog Company, was like, how in the hell did you do that? Yeah. You came back at 5 a.m. last Saturday. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I think I, it was the moment of realization for me that, like, I just had to be at peace with decisions that were made as opposed to worrying about it. And from there, I would get what I deserved. If, if the drinking affected it, it mm-hmm. affected it, right? It was, it's a choice I made previously. Yeah. And I think as I've built this out with, with Lucas, he's been really cognizant and happy to understand that. And so as we move into more from the ground up or more things, whether it's you know supporting Steamboat, like I went and did their, um, their travel in Miami and New York this year, which were awesome, mm-hmm. but it made it for a month of back-to-back travel. Dang. Avery and I, for four weeks, I was home for less than a day between each trip. Wow. My girlfriend didn't break up with me. Yep. I still have Willie. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was just a, it's a thing. I'm 28. I don't have a kid, right? There's a, there's a balance to it. <laughs> I'm very cognizant of that, but like, uh-huh. I want... I, keep, I just said this in an interview before. I felt like my plate at Sea Otter was full. Mm-hmm. overflowing it. But the things I was losing were the things that didn't provide sustenance. The yeah. salt, the sauce, the different the salad dressing. Yeah, yeah. The things you want on the plate, but at some point, it's okay to lose them sometimes. Like, got to refine that balance point. And I did. Like, at some point, I felt the spaghetti falling off, right? Like, after <laughs> Unbound, I was, I was cracked. I was yeah. done. I had, like, I wanted to go to U.S. Pro. I have this big thing I want to do. I want to go from Unbound. Like, the big goal this year is to win Unbound and then win U.S. Pro. Mm-hmm. Uh, not sure it's possible, honestly. But I wanted to do it. And so I set this, like, this mindset of doing all these things. And I got to Tusher the week before Tusher. And I was like, I need a week off. Took a week off before Tusher. Did Tusher. Took a week off after Tusher. And kind of came myself again. But I guess the tangent of where I'm going on is that when I look at what I do, it's that it's, it's, it's filling that plate up to the maximum point because that's, what I, that's the good feelings, the fuzzy feelings. Yeah. And then figuring out that I serve myself too much pasta and I need to figure it out. <laughs> Everything you've just said is the, the very eloquent way in which I feel like I have to approach things now as a result of purely being a parent. And certainly I have a lot of other things on my plate be it owning a business or having a podcast or creating videos, whatever it is. But you're the first person that I've talked to who's doing it without kids. And it, I mean, it, it's, it's a very mature perspective. And maybe that hinges on one of the questions that I wanted to ask. Like when you left, you left the world tour and went to gravel with a year and a half interim period, much younger than a lot of people are doing it. You know, a lot of folks are in their mid late thirties and say, "Okay, I'm going to retire from from road cycling." Oh, look, there's this gravel thing, and you you were able to do it a at an early phase of gravel and at an early phase of life, which probably presented a lot of uh, I want to say like binary growth moments. You could have taken it in stride, which you have, or said, "Screw this, I'm going to go do X, Y, and Z elsewhere." Yeah, it's really cool. Thanks. Uh, it's it's been. There's been moments, as you can imagine, oh right? Gosh, yeah. um, I think convincing my parents, like I told you, like my dad was like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Like, why? Um, all love. I mean, I wouldn't be where I am without my parents. Sure. Um, Likewise. But there have been times where I've felt like I know this is the right choice and I need to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one of them. And so I came home and the same as I had had a conversation with my parents when I was... 17 years old, fighting about deferring college, I had the same conversation. I was like, this is what I have in my savings. I have, didn't spend that much. I was a kid living in Spain. I'm going to go do this thing for a year. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to see what happens. And after that, 
and I'm going to live under your roof during that time. This is the great, <laughs> right? because uh-huh. you can't live on, live on $8,500 unless you're living right. under someone's roof. Right, right, right. But they always wanted support. So I had this period of 2018 into 2019 that was just like, figure it out. What are you going to do? What is your next path? If it is school, great. Figure out what you want to go back to for and learn how to study again, because that's going to be hard. Yep. And if it's not, how are you going to rebuild yourself? Because it can't just be, I'm going to be a professional bike racer. Because I, I think it's, I think the one thing with gravel is beautiful and also scary. Anyone can call themselves a professional bike racer. Oh, I make two grand a professional bike racer. I don't disagree with that if you're growing and there's yeah. growth ahead of you. Uh-huh. But if you are not getting results and not impacting people and not providing feedback to companies that's helpful, you're not a professional bike racer. Yep. And so I think it took me a while to learn that. Like I had a conversation with um, a woman named Gwen at Carhartt, uh, titles Influencer Marketing. Mm-hmm. And I think this is sometime mid-2019. Um, got on, super excited, you know, had my pitch, just started talking at her. And she has literally changed who I am how I work with companies from one conversation. She let me talk for about 10 minutes and then she goes, oh honey, that was horrible. (laughs) No, this is very new to say. And I remember being taken aback, but then like, she didn't hang up the call. Yeah. Shouldn't leave. Um, Gwen's background is selling sponsorships for NHL, NBA, and teams. And then she moved to Garhart and helped work from that side. She had experience. Mm -hmm. And she goes, Everything you're saying, you have an assumption of what Carhartt is and what they want, what they're trying to build, what their goals are in the future. And you're saying it from a place of how you can help them without knowing at all what they need help with. So she's like, if you can't ask questions, then there's no reason to have a conversation about a sponsorship or a partnership. And so it's changed realizing that I truly like Everything in my bones, if I cannot make an impact on a company or see, it's not always quantifiable, as you know, right? There needs to be time over that period. Mm-hmm. But if I don't think I'm making impact with the company, I don't want to work with them. Mm-hmm. Of course I want to make money. I want to buy a house. I want to have a kid. Like, I need these things. Yep. But I want to feel like when I work my ass off, it's because I'm fixing problems. It's because I'm changing something or answering a question that customer service has gotten for three years. Yeah. And... That one call in early 2019 changed my perception of not just non-endemic sponsors, but also cycling. And that you can actually, this is what I did it for, right? I want to talk about leaving the world tour and thinking it's flawed. Great. Don't tell Shimano you're going to make an impact and do all these things because you're not. I realized very quickly I got into it. At the time, Joe Lowell was the mountain bike director at Shimano. And he was just like, yeah, man, I can't. Like, he said, if you do all this, you'll be a Shimano athlete your whole life. Mm -hmm. And then I remember being like, oh, yeah, that's easy. You're an idiot. And I get to the race, and I'm like, I can't do this. I can't. First off, I'm getting my ass kicked in the races. Secondly, I need to go hang out with these people after. Like, I'm tired. And so it became this thing of, like, the balance of it is that I want to be the athlete at the expo as long as I can, within reason, finding balance, and then be the best version of myself on race day. Yeah. Yeah. And those two things have to go hand in hand because me being a professional rider or a privateer now is three things. It's being the front facing public, you know, who is Ted? He's Cannondale, he's SRAM, he's Vermont, like he's maple syrup. That's his guy. <laughs> Sorry, that's I just I, I like, just stereotyped no, you. That's <laughs> it's perfect hinging on the next question. Go on. And then secondly, private like uh, non-public facing, like, are you actually providing interesting feedback, right? So, like, my first conversations with Kendo or Envy or any sponsor I work with was, like, I don't have experience on mountain bikes. Yeah. You guys can't trust what, like, I'm getting there. Give me a couple years. Yeah. I can provide great stuff for road and gravel. Mountain bikes, I'm not there. You can't, I, yeah. I'm not leaning the tires far right. enough to tell you. Right. But, like, are you actually providing feedback that inhibits or are you with a company long enough to help build something? Mm-hmm. And then the third being positive influence on people around you, which means being at the expo, being on your feet, yep. understanding that their race is more important than yours. And there's moments that fix it, right? Like after 2019 getting flatting at Belgian Welfare Ride, 2020 not being existence, sure. 2021 was my next Belgian Welfare Ride. Mm-hmm. I flatted with the exact opposite, 20 miles to go, coming back on Lemon Twistenberg, having made the winning move. Likewise. 
And I remember just screaming at the top of my lungs, so angry. And coming up on this woman who, actually, you know, Michelle just got married, saw on Instagram because we're friends. (laughs) But no, she'd come up, new to gravel, had never done it before, and her boyfriend had tried to help, but she had a straighter valve that didn't fit in her and had a pressed a pump and, you know, all the right things in the wrong place. Right, right, right. And I was like, this is like, she either is going to never ride a bike again or enjoy finishing this race and feel accomplished. Mm-hmm. And it's, I get to make that decision right now. Yep. I can stop for two minutes and fix a flat or I can ride home and finish 15th instead of 17th. Sure. And those are those little moments that I think realize that like the impacts on, on companies or the, the impacts on people as a choice. And that companies are going to have pressure on you to, to perform because that's validating product. That's a third of your job. Mm-hmm. But that's a third of your job. Like I literally, this sounds crazy and people might hate me, but the second at Leadville, it takes the pressure off. And now I get to make sure I can go race my bike as fast as I can. But still, I validated product. And now, yeah. make sure I'm completely myself at a race. Mm-hmm. And that full circle cycle, like it came... It, it, it can it completed itself last year for me like i found myself in 2022 that example of michelle is very cool because that's the kind of thing that outside of explaining it here is something that a sponsor is never going to see and so it's like it goes back to your soul who you are and and the decisions that you make as an individual uh outside of an expo outside of saying oh i need to show up i need to go do this thing um you eloquently gave me a persona which I don't disagree with, you know, family guy, maple syrup, Vermont. <laughs> Dog guy, mustache guy, hellbent racer guy. I wonder, and gals. Yeah. I am curious, like taking a bigger, bigger step back and looking at gravel and the growth of gravel and the future of gravel, at what point or ever do we oversaturate and like we have too many of the same personas? I don't think we're ever going to get to the point where you look at the NHL or, or Major League Baseball and then there's only a few personas because everybody else is just a number. And, you know, no different than, than World Tour Racing. There's a few personas that people know, like Cavendish, Froomey, whatever it is, and then everybody else is just a number. Do you think we'll get to that point in gravel? Or is I hope not. Ubiquitous? I mean, I think, I think it's... The big thing for me is I, I was talking to so Ian Boswell, right? Race World Tour. Works for Wahoo now. Yep. Really Talk. nice Vermont guy. There you go. <laughs> Family guy. Okay. Um, but yeah, came into the sport and quote unquote accidentally won unbound. Yeah. Right? Didn't plan on racing professionally anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, which is a hilarious thing to say. But it is. I talked to Ian the other night because it works for Wahoo and uh, my girlfriend works for Wahoo. We we're out at dinner and we were talking about what is or whose choice is it to lead or define or shape gravel mm-hmm. because it's changed a lot in, in five years now i would say there is a platform it's plateau but there's a platform for people to make a career make a living build something to me when you talk about whoever it is whether it's ted king pete Stetna, ian boswell keel Reinen, alexi vermeulen it's up to each of us to be a part of that in our own ways mm-hmm. i think for a minute it was everyone raising their sword and saying it's me i'm leading this pack um and I think, like, no harm against Pete. Like, I, I live with Pete for a year. I think Pete tried to do that for a minute and realized it wasn't the right thing. Like, gravel is, needs different backgrounds. Hopefully, there's always people that continue coming from the road. Mm-hmm. But then people start coming from World Cup mountain biking. And we get people to come from gravel itself. Mm-hmm. Right? And, you might, and those things meshing are the reasons I love gravel, the reasons I can create from the ground up, that people don't feel alienated yeah. when they're 280 pounds as a... They used to be like his his Super Bowl ring fit on two fingers, and he still feels like he's part. He comes to a camp and he feels like he's part of cycling. Yeah, yeah. And that's only because there's different backgrounds, and it's not some skinny person winning the world, winning the Tour de France anymore. So I think when I look at my job in that, it's just how can you make people smile? And if you can do that, for me, it's a dog. For you, maybe maple syrup. For someone else, might be someone else. I I want to be a part of that, right? For for Ian, it's ice cream. Mm-hmm. No, it's for you. Both of you, both of you, it's ice cream. You guys are creamies. T- yeah, it's a Vermont teammates. Thing, there you yeah, go, yeah. Vermont thing. But no, like those things make races fun. The hill climb last night at Steamboat, that's a new addition cool. to a race that's already been cool. Yeah. The weekend's a success. Mm-hmm. I haven't even raced. 
and it's amazing. The people, the amount of energy that people want to hang out and enjoy it, that is the bike racing I want to be a part of, the yeah. bike eventing that I want to be a part of. And so, yeah, I think there's times there's going to be people that are the same. Hopefully there's, you know, another Keegan that comes up, right? Now you have a, you have a, a Vinigo Pojakar situation where you have two really, I mean, Keegan's so far ahead right now, he's leading the charge, but there's no one pushing him yep. other yep. than himself. Yep. Um, but also that, like, I think that's going to be okay if we can build gravel. I think the biggest issue we're going to run into in this companies is where's the pathway? Because there was a lot of money in gravel, and there is still. But right now, I think every company that you go and talk to says, okay, what are your results on gravel? Right. And I think there has to be a pathway from a high schooler or someone racing at Marion mm-hmm. to get to what I am. What I can, now I get to add money to my bank account and hope that I can buy a house someday. Mm-hmm. I didn't, wasn't sure of that before. Right. Well, right. It's sort of the homogenization of gravel that is happening that I think we're all apprehensive of. And that's when there are too many people on too many events. And all the events look the same. And all riders look the same. And everybody's asking for that same chunk of change, which at some point is finite. Um, recognizing that you have an obligation. Traditionally, I wrap with three questions, which are pretty easy and knee-jerk, but I have a different one from you that's going to go full circle in this conversation. Let's pretend in 2017, you had four spectacular results, and they resulted in a four-year contract extension in the world tour. You would be on a different plane and a different trajectory. Do you think... Okay, four years later, I guess that would almost bring us up to the present, 2021. Like, where, where do you think you'd be? With I, think, I honestly think for me, I'd still be in the world tour because I think if I had one with big results early, yeah. I would have had a voice. Yeah, and yeah. I think that was the biggest thing for me on in the world. I, I literally ha- have very few regrets. Like I felt like, well, Willie's angry because he wouldn't be with me otherwise, <laughs> wouldn't exist. But he recognizes the value of the question. Um, yeah, I don't. I, I really think I'd still I'd be a career road racer, and yeah. I think at that point I'd be done because I also have this perception of right now. I'm 28 years old and I'm still like, okay, my, the ending of my career, yeah. and I have that in air quotes because I still, like, I always found it funny when everyone had retirement parties. Right. Um, it really is like, I'm going to get a job that I'm just going to love. I'm not going to be able to turn down. I don't think my career is going to end based on me saying, okay, that was my last race. Sure. Uh, like, I think it's going to be mid-year and I'm going to be like, wow, that's really cool. I'd love to be a part of that company. Yeah. And I have that value because of gravel, because you're so close with the companies you work with, but also that, you know, it's not going to be a timeline thing that I see three years off and be like, okay, 31 years old, I'm going to stop racing my bike and I'm going to focus on a family. Mm-hmm. That's not, that's, I, I don't think that's going to be me. So I think I really took a split pathway. I think if I'd had a one-year contract, maybe we'd still get here. Mm-hmm. But if I'd had a, a longer-term contract or I had a big result and I'd had some voice on our team... I think I would have. I would think I'd still be in the world, world tour. Yeah, and I wouldn't know the difference. One hundred percent. Yeah, you'd be eyeing gravel and being like, "What are those fools doing?" And then, yep. As gravel's become more popular, maybe you drop in yeah. here and there. I hear you. I hear you. Well, I'm glad you're in gravel. I'm glad you're adding to the sport. Um, I'm not going to take any more of your time. Thanks for leading the charge. It's funny because like I, I look back, I ride down in Emporia, right, and I see your face, and I see like, Neil's face, and I no seriously, yeah. I like I talked Neil's the marketing director at Envy that I work with, and yeah. I talk to him all the time about I'm so thankful to be where I am, but also working with people I do and hanging out with people I do because that's that's the one thing in the world too where you didn't get a choice on that. Your teammate sure. just left, your best friend that you roomed with the whole whole year and you like loved. Yeah. I was like, oh, he's gone, yeah. and now I'm alone. And I, yeah, that's what gravel is cool because there was people that led it, right? I don't, I don't know people that were racing the 1900s, the Tour de France. Sure, I know people who are leading Unbound, and it's awesome. I appreciate that. That was a good reference because Neil is someone I, I didn't speak to, but he certainly influenced what I was doing because I'd seen that he'd raced. He got on the podium in pro road, pro mountain bike, and pro crit or cyclocross national championships. Like he's an exemplary expansive career and then he started dabbling in gravel in an age you certainly wouldn't have used the word gravel so. yeah and neil's awesome i great dude my first year unbound i flatted out finished in like 11 and a half hours uh the next weekend uh, i raced road nationals and then they nb had an event called grodio that's right 
I go to I go to Grodio and Neil goes, and I finished fourth at Road Nats. He goes, man, it's so cool, but I was on the podium. <laughs> and I was like, well, maybe I'm not getting paid more this year. Right. <laughs> Thanks, Ted. All right, thank you very much, Lexi. Hey there, folks. I appreciate you taking the time to listen. As you've heard, virtually every podcaster out there say, please leave a review. A five-star review is appreciated. Seriously, though, we mean it. I mean it. It helps. So please spend the next 14 seconds and leave a review. Your next assignment, should you choose to accept, is to visit drinkag1.com slash tedking and see what you're missing. And lastly, I want to say thank you very much to my longtime editor, my only editor, as we've been on the air five years now. John Summerford, thank you. I can't do this show without you, so thanks very much for your support. Until next time, my friends, please enjoy the ride.